Locked On NBA. The biggest story is the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we will stop in Portland to speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about Carmelo Anthony and his addition to the squad. We'll go to Brooklyn to speak with Josh Bass of Locked On Nets about Kyrie Irving's injury and how Spencer Dinwiddie has stepped up. And lastly, we speak about the Milwaukee Bucks with Kane Pittman of Locked On Bucks about a team that seems to be flying under the radar despite their Eastern Conference best record. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We've got a lot to talk about in the NBA, so let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast, Mike Richmond, is here with me to talk about this Portland team that looked, uh, I guess, dead in the water when we uh, when we looked at them a week or so ago, but they are coming in on the back of three straight victories. Mike, should Portland fans be getting excited about two wins over the Bulls and one over the Thunder? Well, they got nothing else to be excited about, so do it. Do it. Don't hold back. Don't, uh, you know... Pick your spots to be excited. They beat some bad teams. It's way better than losing to bad teams. Yeah, look, it's interesting to see how the narrative flips on, on this sort of stuff. We saw Carmelo Anthony's first three games where they lost to the Pelicans, they lost to the Bucks, and they lost to the Cavs, and it was a goal terrible. And then they smashed the Bulls, they smashed the Thunder, and they beat the Bulls again. Uh, two teams that aren't exactly going the uh, the greatest of uh, of all other teams in the NBA, and then it switches around. Oh my God, how could Mallow have been unsigned for so long? Look how good he still is. The reality probably <laughs> exactly. it probably sits somewhere in the middle. But how have you seen these first six games of Carmelo Anthony, the good, the bad, and where he sits moving forward with this team? Because there's been some outlier performances in terms of you know, large usage, no Damian Lillard games. Like how is it all fitting in? I think the most uh, maybe positive and simultaneously damning thing about the Carmelo Anthony era so far, six games in with the Blazers, is that he's their best option. Uh, it, there's just no way around it. He's better than Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver. He's better than Nazir Little. The the players they have available to play at power forward, he, the 10 months unemployed, working out at his gym with his trainer is definitely their best option. But he's got limitations. Uh, in his first couple games, he, he looked a little stiff, a little slow on defense. I think against top-quality competition, you'll, you might see teams be able to take advantage of him. But against low-level teams, against sort of against lesser power forwards on the wing, he can still score in isolation. And the Blazers aren't asking him to do a lot of things that are outside of his skill set. They are just saying, here, catch the ball at 17 feet with a live dribble and do what you do. He's shooting 37% from three so far uh, this season on uh, a pretty significant amount of attempts, four and a half per game. There are games when you watch it and you say, why is he taking so many more shots than Lillard? But then he does seem to be fitting in in terms of what his role is. Of course, the defensive stuff, that's never going to improve. You know, when, right. when you get to the age of, uh, of 37, you're not getting better. Uh, or 36, however old he is, you're not getting better on the, uh, on the defensive end of the court, considering when you were never good to start with. But he is filling that role on this team now in terms 
terms of where they sit uh, standings-wise, the Blazers currently 8-12 and 12 on the back of that three-game winning streak. They are only half a game or a game out of the eighth seed. So is the... Is this push, is it impetus you know, to push for the playoffs? How how do we view this? Of course, the next game is against the Clippers. That's going to give us a pretty decent understanding of where they are, whether they can even keep that competitive or not. But is this, have you seen enough in these in these last few games to think that, yeah, they, they can push for this uh, this eight seed because you know, you've got the Suns who are struggling at the moment, the, the Wolves in the seven seed, the Kings are right there. Look, it's not a powerhouse despite how strong the Western Conference may appear to some. Yeah, I think the top six teams in the West are really good, but what we're learning is maybe that the the bottom ten aren't as good, yeah. or, or whatever it is the bottom nine aren't as good as we thought. Uh, I, the Blazers are they're, they're still a playoff team. They even though it seemed like maybe they should pull the ripcord and just be bad and brace being bad, they always kind of wanted to stay in the fight. They've got a pretty soft November, uh, December schedule. You mentioned they played the Clippers to on Tuesday, but then after that, home against the Kings, home games against the Thunder, the Knicks, the Warriors, the Magic, the T Wolves, the Pelicans. Like it softens up. If they, they're going to have a chance to make a push, we'll kind of know where they are by the time they get to January. They could easily, not easily, because they haven't been very good, but they could conceivably be above 500 by the time we get to to January and be in that comfortably in that seven spot in that eight spot depending on what happens with phoenix and 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 minnesota so i have trouble seeing them climb up above seven it seems unlikely to me just looking at who's ahead of them but they they still fancy themselves a uh a tough a tough out in the playoffs because they think they're going to get healthy and be better in march and april Let's talk about the guy who set a Blazers franchise record for blocks in a game, Hassan Whiteside, last time out. And, and this is staggering to me to see this. But before Carmelo Anthony joined the team, Whiteside was the second oldest player on this roster um, behind Anthony Tolliver, which is, is staggering to me. He is over 30, which, again, given some of the uh, the maturity concerns we've seen through Whiteside's career, it's pretty weird to see him at the age of, uh, of 30 plus. But how has he fit in? He's been the subject of quite a bit of criticism for his... Um, mental lapses perhaps on the defensive end like how has he been do you think a net positive for this team well this is a go the same with anthony like the blazers roster so janky that hassan whiteside is their best option at center even when he's at on his worst behavior even when he's sort of back to his worst tendencies of not sticking to defensive rotations of chasing blocks out of his area of not boxing out all the things that he does that just drive people crazy he's still their best option at center by a, a relatively wide margin apologies to scalaby sierra fans out there i think uh, josh you're among them but uh he's he's been okay uh he whiteside when he is engaged is really useful um i think the blazers particularly carmelo anthony and damian lord have made a really concerted e- concerted effort to just kind of stick with him stick on him you know he had like a big putback bucket to kind of seal the bulls win and both Melo and damian lord stopped him at midcourt after that game and started pounding on his chest and talking to him and saying we need you we need you for these moments like you can't check out we need you for these moments so even when he's good and he was probably like objectively good against the bulls uh he still needs he still needs a little help from his friends so uh, he's he it's a good with the bad but he's he's as good as the blazers have on the roster we talk about the the leadership there of Damian Lillard, and it's well acknowledged how good of a leader he is, one of the best in the NBA. But one thing I've noticed with him, and I noticed this in the preseason, and it has stuck this season, is his usage rate has dropped every year 
for five consecutive seasons, including this one. He went from 31.3 back in the 15-16 season, 31.1, 30.3, 29.2, and we're down at 28.3. And for him this season, over the last month or so since he's come back from this back injury last couple of weeks, it's dropped even further. Is this a, a concerted effort from Lillard to get others involved? Is it because the team has gone more offensively focused by adding guys like Hood and Anthony now into the starting line? Like, why are we seeing Lillard's usage continue to drop on this team? I think one is his like his form of leadership sometimes is just to kick the ball ahead and say, go for it. Um, he plays with CJ McCollum, who's not exactly the uh, I'm going to give it back to you type of complimentary scorer. Once you let CJ go, he kind of goes. Uh, Melo's the same way. He's been a, probably a better playmaker than I would have um than I would have guessed, but you know he's a guy who wants to score in isolation and things like that. So if Dame gives the ball up, it's unlikely he's getting it back. And I, I do think you, your your point's true. Is they've added these offensive guys, like they've added Hood, who's another guy who's going to you know take a couple dribbles and get himself going. But I think Dame kind of picks his spots for high usage moments. And what he's learned over the the last couple seasons is that if he's if he's patient with this group and he kind of says okay I'll let you guys go first second third quarter he can ramp his usage up in the fourth and try to win games in 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 you know a seven minutes stretch or whatever yeah I think we're seeing that more as he does tend to have save those moments maybe for fourth quarters to, to really start to, to dominate the ball like that right. but it is going to be interesting to see what happens now over the next week or so as the Blazers are riding this win streak and whether they can convert that against some better teams Mike you'll have it covered for us all over on Locked On Blazers so thank you for jumping on Locked On NBA and talking with me appreciate you having me Josh Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash LockedOnNBA. If you're listening on the go, if you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcasts.com slash offers. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Nets podcast, Josh Bass, is here with me today uh, talking straight after a pretty disappointing Nets loss to the Heat. Let's talk more broad picture here, though, with uh, with Brooklyn, who, of course, are still without Kyrie Irving. We did have an update or somewhat of an update from Malika Andrews today saying that Kyrie still isn't doing any contact work. How worried should we be with uh, Irving's shoulder impingement? You know, Josh, it's a good question. I, I'd definitely be a lot more worried if Spencer Dinwiddie hadn't stepped up admirably in his absence. But I think just simply the lack of clarity from the Nets is, is definitely been alarming. You know, he he hurt that shoulder uh, against the, the Suns on that road trip. And we all thought, hey, you know, he's going to miss the Denver game. Maybe it's going to be a game, maybe two. But, you know, as things have progressed, now we're looking at about 10 games where he's missed. It's definitely concerning given kind of the injury issues that Kyrie has had in the past. And obviously, given his build, a bit more of a not frail player, but not someone who's sturdy and built for contact like a James Harden type. So I think um, until he gets back on the court, we really don't know if it could be one more game or maybe another uh, dozen. Yeah, look, that is the, the concern there with him is that this is continues to linger and he always seems to have something that's going on and, and it's not the same injury as anything he's had in Boston or in Cleveland in the past, so I guess that's a positive there, but just the the continual lingering issues that seem to surround Irving are obviously a concern, but let's talk on a positive note now because, as you mentioned, Spencer Dinwiddie has been fantastic uh, for this team, didn't get the, the victory today over Miami, but what can we say about what Spencer's been doing? You're really stepping up in the absence of Irving and Karis LeVert. He has been absolutely incredible. And I think a big part of that comes down to 
he has been the guy on this team. So oftentimes, especially at the start of this year, when he was uh, coming off the bench and Kyrie's backup and also Karras having a large share of the ball handling duties, he felt he had to come in and, and make an impact right away. And now he knows that the complete dearth of talent on the rest of this roster that's healthy, it's ensuring that he is going to be that main guy. So he's not rushing his shots. He's getting to the basket well, um, drawing more contact and getting the respect from officials. And that's been a long lingering problem with him. Uh, and his three-point shot, I mean, it's always been a bit volatile, but his his three balls off the dribble have looked really good. And when he's hitting those, he's just an absolute dynamite of an offensive player and someone that can lead a team to victories like we've seen over the last couple weeks. What about the Jarrett Allen-DeAndre Jordan dynamic? Because we saw those couple of games when Jordan was out with an ankle injury. Allen was putting up big numbers. And it seems to me nearly every game that I check in on the Nets that Allen has this huge plus-minus and Jordan is a, is a big negative. Yet they seem to play similar minutes or some nights Jordan will play more than Allen. From a how is it looking with those two guys? Is the minute split, which maybe is happening for politics-type reasons, is that hurting the Nets, do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think right now it, it's in a good place. Jared Allen has, has blossomed into a beautiful butterfly over these last few games, putting up huge efforts uh, against the Knicks. Cleveland had a couple of good games against Boston in a row, struggled against Miami today and didn't make as much of an impact. And DeAndre Jordan actually had a phenomenal game. But overall, I think the minute distribution has been fair because Allen's someone that you don't want to wear down over the course of an 82-game season, still a young player and still getting his feet under him uh, just because he is more raw. And you want to keep DeAndre Jordan happy. So there is an aspect of, of kind of politics going into this. But Jordan hasn't been really a n negative for the Nets. I think his effort has kind of waxed and waned. But overall, especially the last few games, he's played well. Um, and I think a byproduct of that plus minus is that he is spending his time on the court with Theo Pinson and Jean and Musa. Uh, and that's not necessarily a recipe for success. But overall, both the centers are playing very well. And it's not going to be something that Nets fans are, have been complaining about very much and shouldn't. So the Nets are currently in the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, a little bit of a buffer over the Magic, who are three games behind at the moment. Um, how look, the Nets obviously had more you know, higher hopes given where they finished last season, maybe pushing into that top four. Of course, hopes are, are limited with the, the Kevin Durant injury. So there was a level of, uh, I guess, healthy optimism with an understanding that you know, this is not the best version of this team. How has the start of this season been received with some, uh, I guess, subpar performances when Kyrie was there, Dinwiddie then carrying the team to this streak of wins uh, before today? Like, how is it being received? Has it been seen as, as a positive or a little bit disappointing? Yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely been kind of a reset of expectations because, as you mentioned, coming into the year, Josh, people were thinking that the Nets could build on their success last year. Obviously, Kyrie being a much more talented version of D'Angelo Russell, you have to hope that Karras and Jared Allen and some of these guys take a leap. And there were thoughts that they could break into the top half of the East. And obviously, after that slow start, the Nets are, aren't going to play that poorly for the rest of the season once Kyrie does come back. Uh, but this kind of uh, win streak of late, even though it's been beating up against some poor teams besides that really nice win against Boston on uh, earlier this week. You know, this is a team that should kind of be thinking more so six or seven seed in the playoffs because overall they just don't have those horses. You know, their wing spots, they're relying on guys like Garrett Temple, who's been a great surprise, Nawaba, who can play some decent minutes, Joe Harris, who's criminally underrated, but they don't have the guys on both ends that can really push them into the upper echelon of the, of the Eastern Conference, even though they do have the sexy names like a Kyrie Irving. Let's talk about at someone like Joe Harris. He's, you say criminally underrated. How has his season looked this this year in comparison to last season when he shot you know, almost 50% from 
three-point land. He's pushed into a bit of a larger role now with those injuries to Irving and to Levert. He's got to move from maybe that you know, third or fourth option into a second option alongside Dinwiddie. How is he coping with that added pressure? Is that impacting his shooting at all? Not really when you look at the numbers, but yeah, you know, is he doing more when given this opportunity? Or is it still just more of the same spot-up type of a guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think these last few games, he's really been able to blossom. You know, his three-point shooting, the percentage has gone down, but still at 43% excellent. And his volume has gone up, shooting over six threes per game. And you look at even the Heat game today, he was just so good at getting to his spots, four of seven from two-point range this game. And considering his kind of what people would say a lack of athleticism, that's excellent. He's amazing at shielding his body from defenders as he goes up for layups, great at uh, going reverse and using the rim as a buffer from defenders. And he's someone that has really welcomed this opportunity to be able to take a larger part in the offense and showing that even with that increased responsibility, he can still be an insanely efficient player. I think we have to assume that Kyrie is not going to be back for the next game against the Hawks and probably against the Hornets. So they are two really you know, comfortably winnable games. Then they take on the Nuggets. They have the Hornets again, then the Raptors. So a couple of tough games in there. I think we may get Irving back for maybe the back end of that. But I think we're still looking at a sizable absence here in not returning soon. But this is another opportunity to really solidify themselves in that playoff zone with these games coming up. Have you got any sort of estimation of when we might be seeing Kyrie back? Or is this because of the the Nets are so secretive with injuries and they have always been under this regime that it is a, it's hard to get a, a handle on. It's definitely hard to get a handle on it. You know, Sean Marks, Sean Marks comes from that Spurs school of thought where they're just not going to give the opponents much, much information. I do feel bullish that there's a chance he could come back for the Wednesday, December 11th game against Charlotte. I think that's um, a, a reasonable target, not too far out. Still gives him another 10 days to recover. So uh, I'm hoping that he can come back from that game. For that game, any earlier would be fantastic. Any later, uh, I'm just going to start to worry even further. Yeah, I think that is going to be the concern that there is going to be a prolonged rest and recovery, and of course the dreaded surgery. That yeah, I don't think that's going to be the case. But if that happens, that of course is a huge blow to this Nets team. They're keeping themselves afloat. Spencer Dinwiddie is doing a fantastic job, and Josh, you'll have it all covered for us over on Locked On Nets: The Trials and Tribulations of Any Team That Has Kyrie Irving. Of course, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Always a pleasure, Josh. Thanks. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Kane Pittman is with me. Kane, this Milwaukee team is obviously playing well. They're 17 and three, but somehow it feels like they. Uh, no one talks about them. They're underrated at the moment because they are absolutely rolling. Yeah, they they are, and and you're right. Um, there's it's probably come. You know what? I I feel like the last week there's been more talk about how little everyone's talking about the Bucks, and people still aren't talking about the Bucks, but they're just talking about how little people are talking about them now which is which is kind of interesting but yeah i mean uh 15 and 1 in november and the only loss came at a buzzer beater in, in utah which is a place the bucks haven't won at since 2001 so yeah i mean they're they're, they're playing at a really high level it, it obviously uh, starts with Giannis, who's who's been incredible but uh they got through this little stretch, you know, seven and zero without Chris Milton as well. So it's uh, it's just cruising along at the moment. Yeah, look, that's what I was going to mention. Chris Middleton, he is back now. He's playing a limited role at the moment. Twenty, twenty-three, and sixteen minutes in the last three games. 
Now they're dealing with Brook Lopez having back issues. Uh, he missed the last game. He's going to miss again on Monday against the Knicks. I'm not sure they're going to really need him against the Knicks as his brother looks to step in. But let's talk about Giannis. You talk about him, how he's leading things. He is putting up numbers that, would you say, are better than last season? I, I think they are. He's averaging a three extra points per game. His rebounds are up. His uh, steal numbers are up. His uh, Apart from his free throws, everything else seems to be in order. And people aren't really talking about a lot of Luca and James Harden talk. But Giannis is putting up numbers better to what he did as a, as an MVP last season. Yeah, and I, I think part of that is just the... It's been what you've come to expect from Giannis, I guess, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but he just goes out there every night and puts up 30 and 10. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's, it's just... I mean, yesterday, actually, oh, the game against Charlotte was, was his first uh, non-double-double of the season. He had 19 in a row to that point, and then he finished with nine rebounds. But uh, he only played 19 minutes because the, the Bucks were, were blowing out Charlotte. So I, I think this is the big thing to look at when you look at Giannis. He's only playing 32.4 minutes per game. And I was just uh, recording Locked On Bucks before uh, we we chatted we chat here, and uh, that that ranks 46th in the league for minutes per game. I mean, he is not overexerting himself at this point. We know he plays at a really uh, high intensity, and uh, I think last time we spoke, we we were talking about the fact that you should probably expect him to miss some games. I mean, is that the Bucks are going to manage his uh, load? I guess if, if that's the way you want to put it through the season, he has got a history of having some knee tendonitis issues, so. Uh, it will be something to monitor, but but right now, I mean, he's yeah, I mean, thirty-two minutes a game, you got to be happy with that. Why can't he hit free throws? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You know, we we try and get through a podcast every single time without mentioning Giannis and his free throws, but it's really tough, and it's like it's a legitimate concern for the Bucks because uh, when when he has the ball in his hands as much as he does, and you need him to be. Uh, that guy that's been super aggressive, getting into the paint, doing what he does so well, he's going to get fouled a lot. Uh, you need him to hit free throws. And on the road in playoff games, we saw in the conference finals last year, he really, really struggled. And and that hurt the Bucks in what was ultimately a, a really close series. And and those free throws, uh, if you look at the numbers between Kawhi and Giannis, they were very, very similar. But the, the free throws was, was the difference. He started out last season not shooting, well, as I say, not shooting very well. He was terrible with his shooting numbers, and it did improve over yeah. the second half of the season. Somehow he started out this year worse. I guess the hope is that he, he pushes himself into some sort of rhythm as we get going. But you mentioned the, the playoff stuff, which was a real concern with uh, with what he was able to do. Now, let's talk about the loss of Malcolm Brogdon and how the, the Bucks have um, managed with that, with guys like Dante DiVincenzo stepping up, Sterling Brown before his injury. Wes Matthews, it does just feel like it's going to continue to be a, a committee-type approach. But do you think once the games start to matter more, that loss of someone like Brogdon, who can be relied upon as a playmaker, as a shooter, as a defender, all in one body, is going to end up uh, hurting this Bucks team, despite how well they're going? Yeah, maybe. Uh, and it's it's sort of hard to, to, to really uh, know that at the moment, as you pointed to, because this team with Giannis and, and the bunch of other guys they have, I mean, they're just going to win a lot of games. Like they could, they're probably going to win 60 games and, and you're not going to really perhaps know how much they're going to feel that loss until the playoffs. But uh, I think that the the interesting thing with the Bucks this year is we are seeing uh, a bunch of different looks for them. They're doing different things and we didn't see this last year. And that is probably partly due to the fact that they've lost that uh, guy that can... Um, Sort of get to the get to the restricted area. We know Brogdon was really good off the dribble, and they have lost that when you replace him with a guy like Wes Matthews. So uh, they have tried to insert Dante and, and Sterling in there, who are guys that could do a little bit more 
offensively than West at this point. But uh, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see. Other things we're saying, the Bucks go to Brook Lopez. He's shooting more twos and getting to the free throw line more than he did last year as well. So they're trying different things to, to probably counter that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bucks might find that they are one ball handler short, um, particularly with, with Bledsoe. We know he struggled in the playoffs. They're relying on 33-year-old uh, George Hill to, to back him up. And he's playing at a really high level. But... Uh, whether or not they they decide they need another ball handler going into the playoffs, we'll see whether they make a move. Which team do you think poses the biggest threat for this Bucks team? They've lost to the Celtics this season. They've lost to the Heat. So they are two of the, the top four or five teams in the Eastern Conference yeah, out of them. And then you've got Philadelphia in there. Which team at this early stage do you think is, is posing a threat for them to head into the Eastern Conference Finals and then through to the NBA Finals? Um, probably, uh, and I'm kind of shocked by this, but probably the Raptors because, uh, uh, man, they're just, they're just really impressive. You look at some of the guys that they've had missed games, uh, this season so far, Kyle Lowry, obviously, uh, the most notable there, but the way that Siakam has been able to pick up the load, uh, the, the Kawhi left behind. And then also, uh, Fred Van Fleet. I mean, he's just playing at, at a really high level. He's still shooting the threes. I think last time I checked, he was still uh, above 40% from three. So, um, with these guys and then uh, the defensive ability of, of Marcus Gasol, uh, I, I just think the Raptors, they're a well-coached team. They have a bunch of different options. The question for me is whether or not Siakam is going to be able to be the guy in the playoffs. We don't know that. We haven't seen that. He hasn't had to do that. So that is probably the question mark for me. But yeah, I, I like the Raptors. They're, they're versatile. I, I'm... I, I don't know. We haven't. We probably haven't got enough time to, to go into all my, my takes on the Sixers. But uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I don't know what's going on in Philly. I, I it's just not a good mix. And I know that's not a, exactly a a, um, a take that is original. But I, I, I don't know. I just don't know what to make of the Sixers right now. Yeah, they are tough to figure out, but you just you always look at them and go, there's just such a small minute sample size in terms of their guys playing together and when that ramps sure. up together, how does it there's so much uncertainty. But this Bucks team again, really flying under the radar, killing it at the moment with just that one loss in November and doing it without key players for stretches of time. Um, there's gonna be times when there are some more leaner moments, but banking these wins in now allows those resting uh, type situations to develop uh, throughout the season, which I think we might be seeing a little bit of here with Brooke Lopez at the moment. Kane, you're gonna have it covered for us all over on Locked On Bucks, so make sure you're checking it out there. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Yeah, anytime, man. Thank you. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and give it a five-star rating and review. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.